I trust you all had a look outside this morning. It is beautiful. It is not officially spring, but come on, let's call it spring. Can we? It's spring break, right? It's, oh, it's awesome out there. I don't, I don't know about you. Um, in our family, we're kind of at a point where we're uh, always by this time of year, we're done with winter. Like, we're just done with it. We're ready to move on. We want sunny. We want warm. We, more than anything... And, and this is me a little bit and a lot my wife, but more than anything, we want flowers. We want colors. I say we because I'm fully on board and I encourage it and support it. But uh, if you showed up at my house today, what you would notice is what might be my wife's attempt at converting the whole thing to a greenhouse because on every windowsill, there's little pots. There's clay pots and tin pots and all kinds of, even the pots that like dis- dissolve in the ground and all of them have like flowers in them. Well, I mean, seeds, if nothing else, right? They're all in that various stages of becoming something uh, good and beautiful. And uh, um, I I actually want to start today with a bit of an apology because I feel like as a preacher, I failed you because I had an opportunity. I realized this week, I had an opportunity. I should have given her all kinds of different soil for those pots. I should have given her some that had like concrete in them and were just hard where nothing would grow. And I should have given some that had a little bit of concrete and then a teeny bit of soil and some that would have been like, I don't know, um, already had seeds in them so that we could play a fun little game of is it a geranium or is it a blackberry and, and all these different soils. And then it would have been perfect for our Mark passage today, but uh, I didn't. Because I, I don't know, I, it, you know, you have those ideas that are just too good, too late. And um, so maybe next time, uh, next year, we'll see if I get to do that. Uh, but regardless, they're all filled with the best soil. Even she went, we had other ones earlier, and they didn't, I don't know, she blamed the soil. And she's like, that isn't good. So she went out and bought even better soil. And we got that, we got, we got grade A soil, I'm told, in all these little pots, which is Hopefully going to be amazing, but uh, uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll report back later and let you know how the flowers are going, or you can just come by and have a look. But last night, as we're getting ready for bed, she's at the top of the stairs in one of the windows, and she's marveling at little green shoots coming up. And so it's beautiful. It's great. We're very excited to get out and do that. And uh, it uh, very much is where we're at in Mark. Mark chapter 4. You can turn there. We'll, we'll read it together in just a moment. But I want to... Um, I want to address what might feel a little bit like deja vu for you, uh, because not the last time I preached, but the time before that, I think, um, I was in this very same passage, because back in the summer, you may recall, we were doing kind of random parables, and I love Mark 4, 1 to 20. I think it's one of, I've, I've heard it said that it's the key to understanding all other parables, so when Jeff said, hey, I'm away this week, and which parable do you want? I said, I'm going to take the key to understanding all parables. I think that's just, someone's got to do it. And so I did. And then, um, then as I knew he would be away this weekend in March, I'm looking ahead and I realize, oh, it's the same passage. Exactly the same. So whatever. Here we are. We're going to keep with it. And uh, then we, if you're familiar with it, we sort of looked at the passage with a different starting question than we had today. We asked the question, what would this have meant to the people on the shore listening to Jesus say, share this for the very first time? What would it, what would their world, how would their worldview have shaped what they're hearing and what would that mean for us? 
Now today we're kind of looking actually more from, okay, this is part of a big letter that Mark is writing. Who's it to? How would his readers have understood this? What would Mark be really trying to communicate to them with his, you know, by including this parable? And so what does that mean for us? So some of this might be familiar, and which is always good. We can use some rehearing. I'll unpack that in a minute. Um, but it also might hopefully be another way of understanding that when we come to Scripture, we can go back to passages we've read again and again and again, and sometimes by asking different questions, we might be led in different places. So that's, that's where we're at today in this, and uh, we are going to continue in Mark and, uh, and read through that. So let's, let's read together Mark 4, and as we do, let's remember that um, uh, Mark has an agenda, a purpose, and he wants every one of his readers to wrestle with the question of who do you say Jesus is? But let's read Mark 4, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in, this te- and in, this, uh, in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell on the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or uh, persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of the life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some a hundred times what was sown. Well, a few things for us to note in this parable. And it's really striking to me that he begins with the word again. This is Mark's, like, you know, introduction to the parable. He starts with that word again, which if you've been tracking through Mark, you might have noticed, hey, wait a minute, um, this is the first parable. Why is, why, 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 but why is Mark going again? What is that about? Does that mean anything significant to us? 
And I think that it's important to pause on that and say, yeah, Mark is a, um, he's like a curator. He's likely been hanging out with Peter, and Peter's been telling him all this, you know, t- all these tales, all this events from Jesus' life. We did this, and then we did this, and then we did this, and we did this. And Mark is not so much just trying to, I think, scribble to keep up as he's got this, like, you know, roll, uh, uh, codex. There's all this stack of, like, little uh, papers and notes, and then he's trying to sort out what fits and what doesn't. Which will he include and which won't he? And I think what he wants us readers to understand is that this might be the first one that he's including, but this is far from the only one. That Jesus is developing a pattern, that there's more going on, and, and, and Mark is just sort of being a little selective for our sake. I mean, John talks about how if every account of Jesus' life was recorded, there wouldn't be enough room in all the world to record them all. And Mark then is coming along and saying, yeah, so... Here's an instance where Jesus was teaching. This was a pattern of his. So take note. Right? So he tells us Jesus is at this again. Then the word is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is preparing listeners, and Mark is kind of helping all of his readers understand that Jesus is this message that some receive in different ways. Some it makes impact in and others it doesn't because the four soils are four people. No doubt that's a little clear in his explanation, right? Some are hard. They just don't receive it. In fact, before it can do anything, it's stolen away by evil forces. Some are shallow. Whether that means that there's uh, just a little bit of a veneer of dirt on a bedrock that's impenetrable or it just means there's a whole, there are a whole bunch of rocks. Uh, it, it could be either. But regardless... It's not an environment where any roots can develop beyond the initial state. Can't retain water. It it can't withstand scorching heat. It just, it's got nowhere to grow. So it dies. Then there's those who have so much going on. They're listening to this voice and this voice and this voice and this voice and this voice that the seed comes. It kind of begins to root. Uh, Exciting times. We see something planting, sprouting up, but there's other things sprouting up. And so the seed actually is in no different than the weeds it's growing with because there's no fruit. Because of the, there's just nothing that the seed can do. The seed should be a fruit, but it's nothing because of all the other stuff that's growing with it. It's no better than a weed itself. And then lastly, there's the good soil, right? It's the one where it grows and it has a miraculous crop, unbelievable crop. It's all good. Now, what can often be missed in this, though, is that when we look at soils one, two, and three, when Jesus is talking about hearing, it's all past tense. They heard it. But with the fourth soil, it's active listening. As if what we see is that a characteristic of the good soil is that it continues to hear. It doesn't just take a one-time message and evaluate it and move on, but it keeps going back. We have a word in this in the Bible, and the word is meditation. We dwell on the word of God. We keep revisiting it, mulling it over, taking it in again and again and again. That is another defining difference between soil four and the first three. Don't just listen once. Right? Another thing of note about these soils is that... um, Sometimes it marks a progression that someone might do, right? If the soils are people, some of us start out really hard. We're just all crust, 
right? And we're not receptive in any way, shape, or form. But then over time, some of us, whether it's through hearing the word again or whatever, different circumstances of life, a little bit of dirt can begin to settle, right? We start to grow, we start to receive some soil. And then maybe even progressing to being a type of plot of land, a type of garden where there's multiple things growing, or maybe skipping that stage and going right to good soil. As more and more topsoil builds up, people aren't necessarily just one forever. We can grow and progress. And so Jesus shares this parable. There's a good word. It's, not, it's shared amongst people. People receive it differently. Different things happen. And then when it comes to explaining it, he's got in the middle there this verse 11 section where he talks about, yeah, some people just aren't going to get it. Some just, you know, you know, it's mysterious, these parables. That's why he even says that's why he does it. He talks in parables so that not everyone will get it. Quoting again from the prophets, some will be ever, seer, ever seeing but never perceiving. They just won't always get it. So why is that? Lots of speculation out there. Uh, one, uh, one preacher I was listening to this week uh, hypothesizes that this is Jesus' way of revealing what's really in, some, in their hearts. He talks in parables, not so that everyone will understand, but to see what's really going on below the surface. I'm not, I think it's, we could even look at it like it's almost a self-revelation. So that when we receive God's word, when we're reading it or, or someone shares it with us, how do we take it? Because that reveals a lot about what's going on in our hearts. Can we, do we give it room to grow? Or... Or do we immediately reject it? Or do we quickly reject it when something else, rise, some circumstance rises up and it just crushes what we've heard from God? So it can almost be self-revealing as to what's in our heart. We also see, though, in the scripture that a lot of Jesus spends a lot of um, time talking about timing. And maybe it's, he speaks in parables so that some will not see in the moment but will see in the future. Often when Jesus would heal someone, he would tell them, don't tell anyone yet. Don't tell anyone. Or even when the disciples, you know, declare that Jesus is the Messiah, he says, what? Just keep it to yourselves, in essence. Timing, for whatever reason, for Jesus in this part of his ministry was a big deal. And there's a time for everything. Perhaps also, and, and I would, I think this is important, he's preparing his disciples he reveals to them what goes on and what the meaning of the parables are because in just two chapters later, he's sending them out two by two to amongst all the villages to preach, to share the message of Jesus. And so he's sharing this parable about soils, I think in part because he's preparing them to understand what to do when you share this message and you get nowhere. When you tell people about the most amazing thing, that the Messiah has come, and people, it's like falling on deaf ears. They're not receiving it. Or they do. They, oh, they get excited. Yay. And then the next thing comes along, and it's gone. What do you do? So I think he's preparing his disciples for how to handle prepare, proclaiming the word of God. And so that's why he wanted them to understand very clearly before his death and resurrection what he was trying to say so that because they weren't necessarily waiting till after his death and resurrection to start telling people that the Messiah had come or that Jesus was going to come into the next village and share and he was preparing villages for him to come. So 
They were being sent out and they need to be ready for it. Right? So we have in here a look at the gospel and we have uh, an understanding of how to share it amongst different people. We'll come back to that when we start talking more about the first, uh, the first audience. Because Mark is writing not to a Jewish audience, but he's writing to a Gentile one in Rome. So Mark's writing somewhere around the year 60-something AD. This is a whole generation later than the people who were sitting with Jesus that day listening to the message. He's writing to a people with a different culture, a different language, a very different uh, setting in many ways. But he's writing to people in Rome. People who, um, walking the streets of Rome, most likely Christians, but in the days of Nero, and if you know much about the Roman Empire, you know that Nero had a few reputations. A lot. We won't get into all of them. Um, he had a, one particular reputation for blaming all of his insecurities and all of his problems on Christians. And so some persecution was breaking out. He was by no means the worst at persecuting Christians, or the best, depending on how you define it. But he was the one who he went to that go-to. Rome burns down, he blames Christians. Because <laughs> uh, people started blaming Nero. Right? So persecution was breaking out. It was getting dicey to be a Christian in, in Nero's day in Rome. But that's who Mark's writing to. He wants to encourage them. Right? He wants to encourage them. Okay, then in Mark, there's this big overarching theme. Uh, right? And so let's just, to take a moment, see how this parable fits in that whole big theme, because Mark's got a purpose. He's not just, this is not just a whole series of short stories. There's something bigger to it. I want to go back to Mark 1.1 for just a moment. How does he start this? Quick reminder of how he starts this whole thing. Right? He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God. That is a loaded sentence, if ever there was one. There's so much in there, right? It's the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. We might go, wait, the beginning? Yeah, because then Mark, what does he do? He launches into quoting Isaiah. I think what he's trying to do in part is help his, his Roman readers understand that this isn't just a story about some guy who wandered around, you know, in the Judean wilderness and stuff, but he actually started his whole, the whole gospel message actually starts back in the prophets. Now, uh, certainly Romans had a lot of um, stereotypes about people from Judea. I don't know, I, I know we all have them. I grew up in a backwoods part of town, and even we knew some people who were more backwoods. Like, we also uh, had some stereotypes about, you know, the people out in, I won't name the communities, but out, you know, out there. I, we all have them. I know you can probably right now think of that one area. Um, I, I, again, I, I'm, I don't want to offend anyone, so I won't say any names. But, uh, right, that place that you think of people from that way, and you start to hear banjos playing, right? And that's kind of how Romans thought of people from Israel that they're hicks and hillbillies and uncultured and so, like, inbred. And all those sorts of negative stereotypes, that's what they thought. So then they think, when Mark comes along and says, hey, I want to tell you about, I want to tell you about this guy, Jesus. He's from Judea. And actually, even the, <laughs> even the Jews thought of people from Nazareth as that backwoods. So he's the most hillbilly of hillbillies, if you will. He says, I, I, I want to tell you about him. And he's significant. He's the son of God. He's, there's a good news about him. He's the Messiah. 
This is going to be a problem for Romans to accept. Because what? In Roman society, who gets the big biographies? Who has the stories that we celebrate? It's the upper class, right? It's the heroes. It's the wealthy. It's the elite. It's the emperors. Those are the people that everyone celebrates and expects to do good things, not carpenter sons from Israel. So Mark's got to help them kind of overcome some of those stereotypes, and he does that right away in the first sentence. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Then he labels it, uh, he labels it good news. Now, again, Roman word, propaganda word, actually. Because if you're living in Rome in those days, people would come through with gospel, which is what, uh, which means good news, and they would have a gospel message. And it would always be related to the war front of the empire. And so good news for them in Rome is that the victory is won that the empire is advancing, that the peace of Rome is expanding, that Caesar is now Caesar of a new people in a new area. For them, that's good news in Rome. And they would have people ride into town on horses and they would proclaim the good news of the empire. Now here's Mark. Let me tell you about a different kind of good news. He's taking that term and he's repurposing it, redirecting it towards Jesus Christ. So he's right away coming out swinging at some big things. And then he tells this story about soil and about whether or not you can actually receive that good news because many will go, no, my, my good news is something else. My good news is about Caesar. My good news is about what's going on with barbarians in the north. And my good news is about whatever. It's a different kind of peace than what Mark is presenting. A different gospel. So he's trying to help them reshape their opinion of this guy from Galilee and reshape what it means to receive good news and reshape what does it mean to have a Messiah who's the Son of God because there was another way that term was used in Rome. In fact, uh, Julius Caesar was known after his assassination. uh, He began to be known as God. People start saying, oh, yes, Caesar is God. Julius, he was God. And then another emperor come along, his adopted son. And people began calling him son of the God. So they got a Caesar who is God, and then you've got other Caesar who is son of the God. And now Mark's coming along and saying, actually, let me tell you about the real son of God. Uh, not the one you thought. And so he's reshaping their perspective again and again and again. And then he comes to Mark 8. And in Mark 8, he's got, Jesus has all of his disciples, they're kind of just alone. And he poses a question to them. Let me read it for you. Though I can almost quote it. I'll read it for you. Sticky pages. Here we go. Right? He's got them alone. He just turns to them and says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Imagine that. They're, they're just alone. Jesus looking them each in the eye. My disciples, my 12, you've seen me do all kinds of stuff. Who do you say I am? Of course, Peter then replies, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. Right? I think this is what Mark is trying to get us in the whole gospel to sort of wrestle with. Who do we say Jesus is? And that's what this parable, why this parable gets included. 
Then it ends, the gospel, awkwardly. If you know much of the end, it's very controversial. It's almost like you've got all these different voices in a room competing with how, to, how do we end this thing? We don't actually know 100% which was Mark's original intended ending because there's three different options. First is a real short one. It sort of ends like this. It ends with the Resurrection Sunday. And, and some women who are close to Jesus go to the tomb. They expect to find him and anoint him, but he's not there. Instead, an angel tells them that he's risen and they should go tell everyone. And what do they do? It says they were terrified and they kept quiet. So basically the opposite of what they were just told to do. And then it ends. Boom, done. Gospel story over. End of the message. Or there's a slightly longer one where they overcome that fear and they decide to tell Peter and then Peter tells everyone and then the message scatters all over the world. Like seeds, just boom, it goes everywhere from east to west. It's everywhere. Then there's an even longer one yet, which is much more like Matthew and Luke, where they, yeah, they, there's the tomb thing, and then they tell the Peter thing, and then, but then there's also now they meet with Jesus in an upper room, and Jesus commissions them, and Jesus sends them out to go all over the world, spreading the message, like a fistful of seeds in the wind, just get it everywhere. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one it is, because uh, I'm going to leave that for Jeff. Uh, you know, those tough issues, we just sort of say, yes, senior pastor, that's for you. Good job. Uh, and you can stay tuned to the end of the series and find out how he concludes it all. But regardless of which it is, we have really kind of one of two options. Either the message is spread everywhere, like this parable, or... The central figures are wrestling with an empty tomb going, who is Jesus? And really, you can't have one without the other. If we're going to really share this message far and wide, we all have to wrestle with that question. Who is this guy? Who is he? And do we accept Mark's presentation that he is the Messiah, the Son of God? Another theme to Mark that we need to remember of and view this parable in light of is that again and again, he presents the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel. Now, people in Rome, some of them might have come. I mean, people from Jerusalem and Judea, they, they, they spread all over the Roman Empire. Certainly some of them might have been with Jewish roots, but varying degrees of familiarity with who these Pharisees are. It might be a little confusing to them, it might not. But he, they are constantly presented as being people opposed to Jesus because they're stuck in their ways. They've read scripture, but they haven't necessarily read it right because they didn't read it in light of Jesus. And fair enough, right? Like to give them some credit, uh, Jesus hadn't done his thing yet where he kind of like, you know, rose from the dead. But, but they weren't open, many of them, there's a few exceptions, many of them weren't open to any kind of new teaching that, about the Messiah. And Jesus is a radically different Messiah than what they were expecting. And so we have throughout this gospel them opposed. In many ways, they're the first soil. Some of them might have been the second soil where they, there might have been some glimmers of hope for the gospel in them, but then it was beat down. Some of them might have even been a third soil where they're wrestling through, okay, if Jesus is the Messiah, what does that mean? But also we've got all this other tradition that we're you know, swirling around and we're trying not to get crushed by the empire. And they got so much going on in their lives where they, they, they weren't really receptive to it. And so we have, again, the Pharisees as, a, as an image 
of a type of soil that we as readers need to go, okay, are we that soil or are we something else? How much like that are we? And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is preparing the 12 to take the message around Israel. And as we see from other Gospels, Jesus sends all of the followers out far and wide, east, west, north, south, Jerusalem to Judea, through Samaria, through you know, the ends of the world with this message. A message that made it from Israel to Rome. And a message about how do we handle it as people sharing the good news of Jesus? How do we take setbacks? How, how can we be encouraged and take heart when we spend time telling people about Jesus and again and again it gets nowhere? Or we, or we have those moments where we've been sharing with a neighbor or a, a sibling or someone in our life that's close to us and we think the gospel's taking root and we get excited. We're like, yes, this is growing. You're getting it, you're getting it, you're getting it. Oh, you just got fired and now that whole thing just withered. Right? We have those moments in our life. Whatever that thing is, it, something comes up in their life and it crushes it and the gospel dies. And so people in Rome no doubt were doing that. They were living the gospel day to day and, and sharing with people in Rome, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and they were not getting a lot of traction. Yes, for some it was. There was people coming to Jesus, but there was also people facing persecution. There was people who would very much lost their lives because the option was Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord, and they said, we're going to choose Jesus as Lord. And others were running away from faith when the persecution rose, and they said, you know what? Mm, I can just say Caesar is Lord. That'll be okay. And they just sort of walked away from it all. The gospel message shrunk. It died. And Mark wants the faithful to be encouraged and to take heart. There was a lot going on in the lives of his readers. A lot of it encouraging and a whole lot more discouraging. So he wanted them to take heart. Now for us today, because we are definitely not living in first century Rome, I want to be careful uh, because we do not face that kind of persecution. We don't. Uh, we have it really good. So what do we do with this? And... I want to encourage us, um, mostly, uh, you know what, for me, this passage raises a lot of questions. And the first is this, what type of gospel are we presenting? What does that seed look like? Right? Does it make sense to those who are hard? Or does it, is it just not seem like anything? Does it make sense? Does it take serious their opposition and concern? Can it, can it root? Like, is it actually an alive seed? That's an important thing for us to consider as we, as we consider the gospel message we're sharing. Is it alive? You know, if you know much about seeds, you know some seeds, you plant them in the ground, just nothing happens. No matter whether the soil condition is right, the watering is right, that everything could be perfect, and the seed is just dead, and it's got nothing to give, and nothing grows. Sometimes we present a gospel that looks like that. We think we've got, but it's, it's just, it's, it's not. And is it compelling enough to actually take root among the weeds? And I don't mean that we got to sugarcoat it or we got to like, you know, dress it up. But I just mean, is it, like, if it's really good news, it's going to 
sound like good news. It's going to make a difference and be compelling. And, and I, I don't want us to be worried that, you know, the gospel is uh, weak in any way or that it can't stand up to a lot of other ideologies. But I mean, if it's really the good news of Jesus, um, it, 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 it's, got, it, it's got competition. You know that. You've seen that. You're, <laughs> you're living life eyes wide open, I know. So we need to be mindful of whether or not we're sharing something that actually is significant. The other question is that, um, so that's the first, right? What kind of gospel of presenting? What does the seed look like? Then we also have to think a lot about the four different types of soil, the four people in our lives, the types of people we meet, that we, that we have as neighbors, that we have even as family members, the people in our day-to-day community and lives. And one of the things we need to consider is, um, do we have any biases towards certain types of soil? Do we... Do we actually understand what the good soil is or do we have some preconceived notion about it? Mark challenges this again and again in his gospel. He presents a kingdom where the outsiders that the people of society thought were the outsiders are actually the ones God is calling in, the ones that God uses the most. Uh, One commentator notes that Mark's Jesus envisions social reconstruction from the bottom up. His practice of radical inclusiveness among women, outcasts, the poor, and the unclean questions all forms of political and personal domination. The outsiders, God is calling in to be insiders. The people who were oppressed in society and the lowest, Jesus actually lifts up. He uses the unnamed people, the people that no one really cared about and would have walked by all the time to proclaim the message, and he uses them in significant ways. He's constantly drawing them in. And so we should be careful, church, that we are considering whether or not we're showing preferential treatment to the so-called best of society when God's actually got a different view of it. James calls us out on this too, about preferential treatment towards certain types of classes of people. So we should check our prejudices. We all should be thinking about, in a similar way, we should be thinking about whether or not we have love for certain types of soils or just love for all of them. Because this is gospel shared with everyone, right? The good news is good news for every person, whether they're hard to it, shallow, distracted, good, like whatever, the gospel goes out to everyone. And we need to be careful, church, that we're not just loving one type or, and to the exclusion of others, but that we really love all types of soil. So do we love the hard enough to chase the birds away and, and keep offering a plow? Do we love the shallow enough to keep offering water and shade and, and maybe even a little more topsoil so that we can help the seed that they've heard kind of grow? Do we love the distracted enough to just keep patiently with them, helping them understand and sharing it again and again? You know, uh, I know I've shared this illustration before, but as a young man, I had a job in a blueberry patch, and, and this, this story takes me back there because it was not a great experience. I, uh, uh, I will confess, at that age, I was in my early 20s, no, late t- teens, early 20s, somewhere in there. It was a long, it was a long time ago. Uh, so long ago. Uh, and I had this job working in a blueberry farm. I was a picker. It, it, it was, I was a bad pick. Um, I got there. Every day was hard. The work was so hard. I was the youngest guy. I got sent out to the bushes that had like nothing growing on them. And uh, they're like, here, pick here. And I'm like, the twigs, the leaves? Like, what am I doing? And, uh, you know, you're spending hours just hunched over, 
Um, and I'd be looking around the field at people in like really nice areas that like just loaded with the nicest, bluest blueberries and be like, oh, why can't I go there? And no, I have to go there where there's nothing. And, and it was hard. It was miserable. And I, 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 I went for two shifts and that was it. I'd never gone back. Never gone back. Because, and, and I, I kind of wonder as I, as I think about judging those blueberries, I mean, it's plain in front of me. There's like almost nothing here. It's just miserable. But sometimes I think we view people that way. Oh, there's nothing there. There's no potential. Why would I go back to that? Uh, why would I keep with that person who's just cold and hard and nothing's growing? Or are we willing to keep putting in the work? Are we willing to keep sharing with people even if they might never receive it? Or are we just going to look at, ooh, that, that's some good soil there. I'm going to go tend those bushes when no one's looking. Or are we jealous of people who are, for whatever reason, in different circumstances? We don't see all the work. And that was part of my problem in the blueberry field. I didn't see that they had been at it for months already. And they had started in those harder fields. And I was jealous of people who were making all kinds of money, picking all kinds of berries, because I didn't see everything else that went on. So sometimes we start judging. And so we need to be careful of that. We need to be patient to stay with it. Another question I have for us is, are we creating shallow soil people by the type of gospel we present to them? Or the ty- our vision of what salvation means? And I'll be, I'll be clear about this. Sometimes we present life with Jesus as a once-in-a-lifetime once thing where we just focus so much on having people say a prayer or say yes, and then we go, get back, done with you. I'm off to this next person. And what we do is we create shallow soil people where the gospel, yes, it'll take root, but we're not walking with them. And often a view that, say, that sees um, life with Jesus as a full life with Jesus is a day after day after day revisiting the gospel. Remember, the, the good soil people hear it again and again and again. They keep listening for Jesus. And when we have a view of, of the Christian life that's more like a journey day by day by day towards becoming like Jesus, we do a lot better job of helping people move along that process from hard to shallow to good. And we should take heart in this parable for that sake. That how we walk with people, our our method of, sometimes the word we use in church circles is discipleship. How we help make disciples makes a big difference. So as you see, this parable for me stirs up a lot of questions. I think that's good for us today. To ask, to listen, to wrestle. And, And maybe just the fact that we come to these things with all sorts of questions is what Jesus meant by some are ever ever seeing but never perceiving. But the questions in wrestling are really good for us. And so I encourage you this week, don't just walk out of here and go, yeah, that was nice. Okay, we're done with that next thing. But maybe think about this. What type of soil are we? What type of soil are we producing in others? How, how is our love for everyone in West Kelowna or whatever our community is? In this parable, Jesus' encouragement is to his followers who would soon go out sowing. That's us, church. We're going to walk out those doors in a moment and we see before us a field and we are called to share the good news. So we should check our presentation of Jesus and make sure that we aren't walking in the way of the Pharisees so that if God's spirit through our daily reading or another brother or sister or someone comes along and says, hey, um, 
let's talk about Jesus. And, you know, I've, I learned this in my reading, and are we just going to right away go, mm, no? Or do we have an ear for a brother and sister? Or are we continuing to perpetuate the error of the Pharisees? Do we read with fresh eyes the word of God regularly? Mostly, we should see what type of soil we are. Are we hard? Have we grown crusty? Have we dried up? Are we got, you know, did our topsoil all blow away? Or do we really have something good where God's working in us, growing in us, and we are changing day by day? So that we accept what is right. We, we accept Jesus as he presents himself in God's word. So we need to continue to hear the message of Jesus. And above all, church, take heart. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for this message, this story that speaks to us today, that speaks to your followers many, many years ago and everywhere in between. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the good news. I thank you that we have a Savior who is the Son of God, who loves us dearly and has made possible the way to have a relationship with you. And I, God, I, I pray for us that we would have a greater love for all the soil around us, the people that you bring into our life, the people that you love dearly and you, you want them to not just reject you, but have Jesus grow in them. So give us eyes to see how we can be part of that this week, God. Give us eyes to see how we can share the best news of all to the people who are part of our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.